Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic anytime. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end of the program when we're also going to share some exciting offers and opportunities. And please feel free to share this with people who you know who will also find it of interest. Well, I feel like I know today's guest much, much better than I actually do, but I have had the advantage. We've only met once in person, but I've had the advantage of reading her book. And I want to say this, the only thing that's greater about reading Dr. Victoria Savardi's book, Just a Little Girl, is reading it twice, which I just did in order to be prepared in order to have this conversation. When I met Victoria at the beginning of the summer, we had a delightful conversation. She's very thoughtful, substantial, and easy to get to know. However, in addition to the substance that we're going to speak about today, one of the beautiful things about her book is the ability to feel like I got to know her family as well. I'd love to meet her husband, Paul, and her children and all her grandchildren, but I do feel like I've been privileged to have been given a peek into their family's window, not in a creepy way, sharing both, uh, both the many blessings and challenges of their lives. Now, Dr. Victoria Savardi received her the- uh, Master's of Theology and Doctors of Theology from the former Center for the Study of Biblical Research and is now under the auspices of the Hebraic Christian Global Community. She has been a certified minister since 2000 and a frequent contributor to Restore Magazine, which is a publication of the Hebraic Christian Global Community. She's been a speaker at many conferences, women's ministry groups, Bible studies, and at the Vision for Israel Sukkot Conference here in Jerusalem, Israel. She's also the executive director of the March of Remembrance in Dallas. As a featured guest and international radio on international radio and TV programs, her appearance, appearances on prominent programs such as TCT, Daystar, Uplift TV Networks, and others have been seen worldwide. I hope that our podcast today will also make it to that worldwide uh, reach. Her Precious Gems teachings on the Jewish roots of Christianity have also appeared in numerous publications and can be viewed online at victoriasavardi.com. She has six children, 20 grandchildren still? Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. And is married to Paul Savardi, who is chairman, CEO, and co-founder of Insperity Incorporated, a world leader in business and human resource services based in Kingwood, Texas. As co-founders of the Nathaniel Foundation, the Savardi's philanthropic contributions support numerous charities in the U.S. and here in Israel and around the world. Now, there's a whole lot more to get to know about Victoria and her family, but I'm really blessed that we will have that opportunity. Victoria, welcome to Inspiration from Zion. Thank you so much. It's such a joy and a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm thrilled. I'm really thrilled. Now, for most people, when I have these conversations, I like to start at the beginning. But uniquely, part of your beginning is what for most people would be an ending, because you actually died as a young woman and had an encounter with your guardian angel. I don't want to begin to put words into your mouth, because I honestly, I have chills thinking about it, revisiting just the two times I've read your book. But you wrote about that in the book considerably. Can you please share about that experience, both what happened and kind of give us what to look forward to as how that impacted and wove through your life since? Sure, Jonathan. It was um, an incredible experience. I was not a a strong um, Christian, if you will. I wasn't um, really seeking God, uh, although I was going through a lot of emotions growing up in a high liturgical church. And uh, just knowing what I should be doing with tithes, what I should be doing with going to church every Sunday, um, all those basic religious 
uh, obligations, you might say. I was staying pretty close to that, but I really didn't even know why. Uh, Very young, um, just a teenager. That's why the book is called Just a Little Girl. I was just a month from being um, 19. And um, so it was one of those situations where, you know, it was a, um, a teenage marriage and I was pregnant and having a difficult uh, problem, problems with my, my, my pregnancy and wasn't doing too well. And the doctor took one look at me one day and I was, you know, probably past due, it was past my due date. And I was very jaundiced. I was very, I looked very sick, um, edema, I uh, was very swollen. And, um, so he says, took one look at me and says, we need to get you to the hospital. And on the way I went, slipped into a comatose state and I stayed in that comatose state a couple of days. And, um, then they took me in to the, t- because I started going into labor. Now they didn't want to take the baby right away back in 1978, um, because he was very small and they did they wanted to give him as much time as he could just to keep developing. Um, so they waited until I went into labor and a few days later I did, uh, I never woke up. Um, I just stayed asleep. They gave me a general anesthesia. And, uh, I guess whenever you have a general anesthesia, your liver pretty much just shuts down anyway. It's hard to get the toxins out of your body. And I was already jaundiced. So I just wasn't doing well at all. Um, I didn't, uh, come out of the anesthesia. I started going into multiple organ failure. Um, and I remember, you know, Paul, my husband was raised Catholic and, um, he didn't know a whole lot about prayer except for what he learned in the Catholic church, which was really wrote prayers. And, um, so he started praying what we call the, our father or the hail Mary. And, um, and those, they told him that our son was having difficulty and and they don't, they didn't think he was going to make it. So he immediately started praying these prayers and the baby did pass away. So, um, he realized, well, those prayers didn't work. And so then he, um, they told him that I was going into multiple organ failure. They needed to send me to uh, the Methodist hospital, which was a, a trauma hospital down in Met- Houston medical center. And so I was just in a, a local community hospital where they didn't have the, the equipment to keep me alive, uh, like for my kidneys, dialysis and, and, uh, things of this nature. So they sent me to, to Houston and on the way in the ambulance, I had a death experience. And then when I got to the hospital, um, in intensive care is when I really had the mother of all mother death experiences. Um, I felt myself falling. If you want to understand, I'm, I'm going to try to explain. You want me to explain what I, I, yeah, I, yeah. Please. Well, please do. But I, I, I want people to read the book. I, I, we're not going to okay. give away the whole thing. Okay, well, I, I had the sensation of falling, and once I fell through, and you got to read the book because it's a very interesting um, vision or experience of what I saw. What you I saw you, write, you narrate it very well. It's, I mean, it's, yeah. you do feel like it's like not yeah. like you're there, but you're like you're there. Well, it's hard to explain something in the spiritual realm that you have seen in with physical words, and so um, I tried to do the best I can. And, but anyway, when I came out of my body, I was face to face with an angel and the angel told me that, um, I was going to go back to my body. Now I wanted to go see my baby. I knew the baby had died, which is really, is really interesting because I never woke up from the time I slipped into the coma, right. which was before I got to the hospital, right. but I knew that the baby had died. And so there's this, there's this knowing that you have in this, in the spirit realm that, you know, it's not connected to our conscious mind. And, uh, of course I could hear voices. I could hear people talking to me whenever I was in that, that state of comatose. So make sure if you have a loved one that is in a coma, uh, be sure to talk to them because they can hear you. I heard everything, especially if they jarred me a little bit and, and kind of woke me up, um, in my, you know, my, my conscious mind, subconscious mind. But, um, anyway, I, um, I was told I was going to go back. And by the way, I knew this angel's name. His name was Peretz. And remind me how you knew his name. You speak about him a lot. I, I, I don't know how I knew his name other than the fact that he has always been with me. Always. And when I saw him, I recognized him and I said his name. And I found out later. And at the time, you know, being a, a little Lutheran girl, I did not know anything about my Jewish roots, the Hebraicness of Jesus, none of, none of that. He was just a, a, a very um, obscure 
um, Jesus that I just kind of scared me in a way. I didn't know him very well. Wow. And so um, anyway, I I began to I began to realize that this angel has always been with me. And I knew his name and his name was Peretz. And I find out later that that is a Hebrew name for right. what breaks through. And um, I didn't know that then. And I was kind of embarrassed because I thought it was a strange name. And so I told everybody, I said, well, it's Peretz, but I'm going to call him Perez because <laughs> I, I'm, I'm more familiar with Perez and putting that, that slotty or that, that TZ in there. Anyway, so for a while he was Perez until I found out that really is a, a Hebrew word, one who breaks through. And so um, it was very interesting that this 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 angel had been with me and had protected me all through my life. And I knew it. It just it it, it was a real revelation of something that had been going on uh, for my whole 19 years. That I was alive at that point in time and it became conscious. I became conscious and aware of it. So but you're you're referring to how you just just in re- reference to his name, how how that evolved and you didn't understand the significance of just who you were speaking with, who was your guardian angel. At, how else has that carried through the last decades um, that that experience in your in your life? Well, it's really interesting because as I found out more about Peretz, I realized that he's a messianic figure. He's a messianic um, inference, um, to, you know, the, the Messiah. And so I didn't call him by the name of Jesus. I called him by the name of Peretz. And, but I know that he had always been with me. So I think there was a clarification of, of, of a name. And I still consider myself a disciple of, of Yeshua. I mean, his, his, the ways that he taught us, um, I began to realize were very, very, um, Jewish. They weren't, um, Lutheran. They weren't Christian. They weren't, um, Protestant, uh, they weren't Catholic because Jesus was Jewish and Yeshua was Jewish, Jewish. And so I began to see him in a totally different light over time. And I began to realize that he is the breaker, you know, in, in my understanding of Messiah, I have a Messiah that has broken through to me and has revealed himself to me and is standing in the gap for me and protecting me, putting his hedge of protection around me that I may, that I may live. And that he may guide me. Now, when I fell through um, death, I, I went through, you'll read it in my book. I fell through my own, what I say, my own cosmos. And that sounds really crazy new age. I don't mean for it to be because I'm, that's not me. But it's, like I said, it's spiritual. And, and the spiritual things sometimes just don't make a lot of sense in the physical realm. But I fell through my own universe. And it was vast. And it wasn't that I could see my past like a lot of people see. I saw my future. And what God showed me along my along the way through this grid was all the things that he, that he was going to reveal to me. In fact, he was revealing truths. And yeah, all, that's right. You do. Too, right. All this knowledge. Now, when I came out of the experience, even though I remembered some of it, it's like a dream. You know, you kind of remember the dream for a little while. Yes. Kind of yes. Away. Well, just understand this, though. When I would read the Bible or whenever I would hear a truth, I would immediately be jarred to remember that I saw this already. Right. And that God had already revealed these things to me. And so there was a lot of revelation that happened in my the process of actually leaving my body and, and moving into that spiritual realm. And so, um, you know, he, he Yeshua, my Messiah, guided me through it. And he told me many things. And, and he told me a whole lot about um, his Jewishness. And I didn't know him that way. And it was very different for me to understand him in that context. And so um, I began to, to, I really started at, at a deficit being in a high liturgical church. I didn't understand anything about um, evangelism because we didn't do that. And um, I didn't understand about having a testimony. Um, I didn't understand about helping somebody um, find hope. And, and, you know, love and, and, and our God, I just kept to myself. And so after this, after that experience, I wanted to tell people what I experienced. I wanted wanted them to know how awesome this experience was and how awesome Peretz was and how he saved me from death 
and he 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 led me to a place where I could um I could come back to life and sure. have the relation knowledge of what was on the other side, at least a glimpse. We're and, going to talk a lot about Hebrew, and you're you're already doing that, and the significance of 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 um the the, the Jewish the Jewish foundation of Christianity, but you've mentioned Peretz by name a number of times. I don't know. I, I, I should have looked before. How, how is he described in an average Christian Bible? In a, in the, by the name? No, never. There's never any description of Peretz in the Christian Bible. As the grandfather of King David? He's not I mean, in, in the Old Testament, oh, but maybe, but it, but there's very little teaching in the Old Testament, and especially in um, the Lutheran faith and some of these um, more traditional uh, faiths. Uh, there might be more in your evangelical um, denominations, but not in Lutheranism. So I I knew nothing about you didn't okay Mm-mm. right no. yeah, and you're in Texas, so you're assuming it's an Hispanic name, right? Right, it's exactly what I thought. You know, right. I was I was I was very <laughs> green if you would if you say um i i didn't i didn't know a whole lot about god or per, perrettes for sure nothing about perrettes got it okay thank you now, i i want to get into a lot of the substance but there's something that you said when we met i it it, it it struck me and i had not yet read your book yet you're very easy to get to know very transparent um but you mentioned, I don't remember the precise language, how you weren't sure, even still, years after writing the book, how uh, if you were maybe too personal, if you were too open. And as I'm reading and feeling like I'm really getting to know you and Paul and your family and, and of course, the highs and, 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 and the lows that you've, that you've struggled with, um, I wonder, just, just because the book is as personal as it is, how did your family feel about you being so open? You know, I'm not real sure what they felt about it. They didn't really tell me. Um, it, it's kind of hard for, for my grandkids to, to, they're just now starting to read it because I have a lot of teenagers now. Half of my grandkids, more than half are teenagers. And so they're starting to read the book and they're kind of shocked by some of the transparency that I had in the book. Uh, like, Nana, I can't believe that you should have talked about these things. But, um, I really felt like I wanted to, to relate on a lot of different levels, especially people who, who have, who are struggling to know yeah. God or who don't know God, who are living in this world, who are living in, um, the, you know, the, the aspects of just, you know, the, the flesh, we would say, you know, we call it living in the flesh carnality and not understanding the, the ways of the spirit. And so I wanted to express those things and get those thing out, those things out there and, and talk about those things, uh, just to let you see the deficit that I came from and how God moved me to the point that I'm in now. And, uh, he told me though, as I went through my own universe at the point of death and I was traveling through it, I, um, he told me uh, as when I was outside of that and I was standing or floating next to him, looking down at my body, asking him where I needed to go because I knew my baby had passed on and I wanted to go see him. And he told me your, your child was on the lap of the father. And he says, he says, but you're going to go back and you're going to tell everybody about all those things that you saw on the way here. And there was, there was a whole lot of, of truth and revelation and illumination of, of things that I just can't, you know, I, I couldn't even explain it then. But he says, you're going to go through it in real time and you will understand it in real time. Cause I was going through it in mock speed, you know, I was just, these things were just kind of downloading really, really quick. And, um, but in real time, I was able to study and, and I would recognize whenever this was something that I knew before. It looked yes. familiar. It looked familiar. Uh, that truth was already in me as a seed, maybe. And, um, it was just exploding as I would study more and, and make, you know, the, the midrash of the scripture and connect, uh, all these things that, you know, were, were, it was just amazing to me that, that, um, the, the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures are just one big tapestry and it all connects together. You know, the prophets connect together, the Torah connects together, all the, the Psalms and the writings, the, the you know, Ketavim and the Nevi'im and all these, the whole Tanakh is one big tapestry 
that comes together in this beautiful picture. And I never, ever saw that before. And, um, but I saw a glimpse of it when I was going through. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Those are, I deliberately didn't transfer, translate those words or, or pause for you to do it because we're going to talk about that. But the significance being is that you're using a lot of Hebrew as, as and, and that's really what I wanted to get to. Um, but I love how you just said, before we move on, I want to speak about your, your, your the, the faith journey to which you've alluded, but, but also to note how I, I didn't catch it in reading the book that your writing and being is open because so many people go through so many things. And, and now I can see it now. Now it makes sense to me that even, even something that probably the thing I can relate to the least that you wrote about is your menopause. And exactly. <laughs> right. And every woman can understand that. Exactly. No, exactly. But, but now I appreciate that because, because even that you've walked the faith journey that you have and you are where you are and you've had these experiences, it doesn't mean that you haven't had more than your share of bumps along the road. And so how nice for you to be able to share these, even just what you said before, if you have somebody, a loved one in a coma, talk to them. I never would have thought of that. And, and that you're able to share this because that makes it more relatable. Someone from this conversation will read your book who either has or had somebody in a coma, and that's going to be their hook to relate to you and the rest of your story. Well, even when a person is in the, in the throes of dying, they're hearing you. And so, um, you know, I was hearing things. I, w- I knew I was dying. I heard all the commotion. And um, so I think that's important that as a person is going through that that experience, a death experience, that you encourage them, that you you tell them that there's there's something better on the other side, and and that the the light of God is there, and and He's going to embrace you and receive you, and oh. just receive receive the Lord, and you know to be conscious of of how you know I think a lot of times in our journey, man's journey, our our journey in this on this earth, we we get very selfish, self centered, self aggrandizing. You know, we always look after number one. And it's this spiritual force of darkness that causes us to be selfish. And I think at that point in time, you begin to realize, I begin to realize that how selfish I've been. And um, so you're thinking, your, your conscience is, is, is awake. Your memories are there. Your attitudes, your, you know, your personality is all intact. And so as as you're going through this experience, you're hanging on to hope. You're hanging wow. on to whatever that you're hearing. And, you know, I, if somebody, um, of course, I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't all that, like I said, I wasn't all that spiritual of a person, but I wasn't an evil person either. Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't that selfish. I was selfish, but not that selfish. Um, I wasn't evil, but I can remember thinking I had been selfish and I didn't, oh. I didn't like it. And I was actually it while I was going through this process, I was crying out to God saying, forgive me that I've been so selfish. It, may, it makes sense. But by the way, I mean, a fabulous point, but, but going back to what you said before, you still were only, as you say, just a little girl, you were a teenager right. Right. And, and, and teenagers are not known for their maturity. Teenagers are not known for their selflessness. And I believe that God had grace on me in that aspect. Um, you know, you and I who are older, um, you know, we probably don't have a lot of those excuses, uh, as far as, (laughs) you know, a lot of experiences, but, um, at still at the same time, I think it was the conviction of the spirit that was causing me to want to, to reach out to God and, and, um, and repent for being selfish. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that we, we, we were, texting each other while we were both on vacation a few weeks ago. And as I was in the first pass of reading your book and I came across the section, I think it was that day. Uh, no, it was a different day, but it doesn't matter. Um, the day, the anniversary of the day your father died and I texted you. Um, I, I, I don't recall how many years ago that was, but I'm recalling my, uh, it's coming on what? 26 years. 13. Yeah. So 26 years since my father died. And I remember a year or two after he died, my rabbi was speaking. We was before we moved to Israel, and he was speaking, and he was talking about how 
when someone experiences the death of a loved one, it makes them more sensitive to uh, the loss that other people are going through. And I, and I was always impressed by him because at that point and until very recently, he had never lost a loved one so that he had this sort of insight. And I went up to him afterward. I affirmed that that's the case, but I said selfishly, I'd still rather have my father alive with me and not be as sensitive to other people's loss. And that's a, it's a horrible thing to balance at 57 years old. Um, knowing that I, can be caring. And I have been so comforting to people who have gone through it, but I have to tell you, I miss my father. Mm -hmm. Well, we know that Job said that, you know, one day we will see God in the flesh and he knows that his redeemer lives. And so I just look at the words of Job and and realize that there is a, there's coming a time and a place where we will see our redeemer and we will see all of those that are in God. And um, that's his plan. Victoria, I want to take a break for a minute and then we come back. I want to actually delve into your faith journey so we can lay the foundation for the the, the kind of the things that you are um, so knowledgeable and passionate about. So let's just take a break and come right back. When you think of Jerusalem, you probably think of its historic and biblical sites. Run for Zion is a trip unlike any other. You will join tens of thousands of Israelis interacting with Jerusalem as you never have and never imagined you would. You'll connect with and bless Israelis of all backgrounds. If you've never been to Israel and are dying to come visit or haven't been for a while and can't wait to get back, Run for Zion is the opportunity for you. And now, if you register today, you can join us for as little as $29. Yes, that's for real, just $29. Run for Zion is a pilgrimage and service experience that gets you out of the tour bus, interacting with the people and the land. Check out runforzion.com for details and come. Run for Zion and bless Israel with every step. So, okay, the, um, I, I, I'm I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. I and I, it feels to me like I have um, obviously the benefit of reading your book, and, and this is not a shameless plug, but it's worth it. Um, I didn't know that when you gave it to me, but it really is, and, and I want to encourage people to find just a little girl by Victoria Savardi. Um, now, one of the interesting things. And I, and I see it to a degree with lots of Christians, but not, I think, to the same uh, uh, quantity or quality, if you will. You've, your faith journey involves being in a Lutheran church and a Baptist church and a non-denominational spirit-filled church and an Assemblies of God church. And I asked you when we met, well, where are you now? And, I don't, and, I, and I'm going to let you fill in all of the blanks. None of this is necessarily unusual, but I, but I saw, and I, I hope it was deliberate, that at each of these stages, at each of these um, stages, let's go with it. If there's a better word, you can use it. You're, it, it, it was part of your faith journey yeah. to where you are now. So can you discuss that a little bit? And, and what were the catalysts um, at, at each step along the road? Mm-hmm. Sure can. You want to do it now? Yeah, please. Okay. Um, I think whenever you, um, when you really study what Christianity is all about, you begin to realize there's so many factions. There's over 33,000 different denominations. And it seems like these denominations highlight perhaps a particular truth about God, a facet. And they, they bring it into, you know, focus and they capitalize on it because it's a revelation. Um, for instance, uh, the Catholic Church, I think, has understood the reverence of God. They, um, they, they, they have this quiet um, reverence that there's when they come into the the sanctuary, they're they're bowing their heads, they're kneeling. There's a there's a submissive tone in the people. Nobody is talking to one another. Your focus is on the the pulpit, the altar, and the spirit. Um, I don't think they understand it, but I think that's the, their reality. Okay. Now, when you get into more of the, um, evangelical, these are the high liturgical churches, Catholicism, excuse me, Catholicism, Lutheranism, Episcopalianism, they're all very high, uh, formal liturgical churches. And they go, we go through a lot of motions. We say a lot of chants. We're kneeling. We're standing. We're going through this whole order. 
Okay. Now, when you yeah. get into evangelical churches, it's different. It's more relaxed. Um, you're not as, I don't want to say not as reverent, but it's true. You're not because that, that revelation, I mean, you know, you, they love God. I know they do. They look at him more as a friend. Look, they look at him uh, more as a, um, one that is, you know, their, their, their best friend. They're the one that stands alongside of them. And I remember, you know, it was the fact that my, okay, I'm going I'm to tell you what caused us to go from this high liturgical formal church to into the evangelical Baptist church. Um, the pastor, our pastor, our Lutheran pastor came to us and he said, by the way, uh, there was a nurse in labor and delivery that noticed that you had a band on your arm that said Lutheran and she was a Lutheran. And so she realized the baby was going to die. And so she was able to baptize your son before he passed away. So this is what the pastor told me. And this really bothered me. I was, I was so concerned about this. I kept thinking about it. And finally I, I, I said, look, I can't, I can't let this go. What is what you're saying that had this nurse not baptized my son and he died without being baptized, my son would be separated from God for eternity, living in hell, in judgment. Which, by the way, is already a very profound insight for you to have, isn't it? Well, yeah, I don't know if I said it in exactly those words, but now, you know, yeah, I mean, I was like, you know, he's going to hell. (laughs) (laughs) And, and he says, well, that's what the Lutheran church, the doctrines. For the right. Church. I remember. I, said, I don't think I want to be in the Lutheran church anymore. If that's what they teach. I said, do you believe that? And the pastor says, well, I have my own beliefs. And I said, is it different than that? And he says, well, I, I don't want to say too much. I, I said, it is, isn't it? You don't <laughs> it. And so I felt like how many more things, you know, are you teaching that you don't even believe? Wow. So I had, we had friends that were Baptist and I thought, well, since this is a baptism issue, I thought the <laughs> Baptists might know about baptizing. So we had, we went to our friend's church, the Baptist church, and um, we learned all about how important our testimony was. And believe me, at that point in our life, after being raised from the dead, and by the way, if you get my book, you'll see how my husband received um, his salvation in that ambulance on the way. I mean, he wasn't walking with God either, but he received his salvation as the spirit of God ministered to him. There was nobody yes. leading him. There was nobody saying, you know, you need to confess your sin. You need to, you know, um, claim that Jesus is your Lord. None of that. It was the Holy Spirit ministering to his spirit. And he began to realize that he had always been uh, so self, you know, efficient or sufficient and he didn't need anybody. That's, this is the way Sarvati's are. They're always like this. <laughs> so anyway, he's, he, um, on the way, on the way to the hospital, he just said, you know, God, I have been again, selfish. I've been selfish all my life. I've been doing things my way and your way is different than my way. And so I want to know your way. And I, and he goes, I prayed a prayer to our father in the Hail Mary. And you didn't honor that prayer to, to have my son live. But now my wife is in a situation where she might die. And so I'm just going to talk to you with my heart. I'm just going to talk to you like you are my friend. And he began to talk to God in this way, in a very personal way. And he says he felt like a warm blanket, like the warmth of a, of, of a blanket coming over him and just wrapping him. And he knew that he was experiencing something very supernatural. And he had a gift of faith, a gift of faith that says I was going to live. And he pretty much heard it in the spirit that he, I was going to live. And he told the doctors this and the doctor said, well, we wish we're, we were as optimistic as you, but we don't expect her to make it through the night. Please call your family. And so he, um, he, he did, but he really believed that I was going to live anyway. We, um, we felt like that we needed to find out more about this Baptist evangelical church. And, uh, we began to realize that our testimony meant something because in the Baptist church, you talk about your testimony, you, you tell others, you know, what, right. what has gone on and, and it is to build faith into, in, into, into others. And, um, so we did, we, we began to tell others about what God had had done in our life, what happened in that ambulance, what happened in the ICU room. And it bolstered 
other people's faith and they wanted to have a walk with God too. And so it became that testimony became a catalyst for really it's the, it was like the mouth of God. It was the words of God going for, forth with power and changing people's lives. And we began to realize that we were kind of called in that direction. And so we knew that we needed that, that boost of faith. We needed that next level of, right. of understanding who God is in our life and who, what the Messiah means to us. And so then, uh, because I was in the Baptist church, they read the Bible. Catholics and Lutherans, Episcopalians, they don't read the Bible. I came from there. We didn't read the Bible. Only the priest or the pastor would read the Bible because we were told we didn't understand it. So the Baptists, they read their Bible. It, just the normal people that sit in the pews. So I said, well, I'm going to start reading this then. So I start reading it, and I'm finding out all kinds of things about the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, which, you know, of course, back then I called it the Holy Spirit. And um, I said, what is this? And the now the Lutherans would tell me, don't don't go by the way of the Baptists. They're they're crazy. That told told us, don't go by the way of the Charismatics. They're crazy. They'll probably go to heaven if they don't run right past it. <laughs> and so this is what I was getting. So these denominations are fractured, and they yes. don't want to accept one another. And they warned me of different aspects. And so, but I read it. And I said, this Holy Spirit thing is real. And so I went to something called a Women's Aglow, which was a women's Bible study. And right. I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I received gifts from on high. I remember being able to lay hands on the sick and that I would see evidence. I would see people recover. I would, I would be able to pray for people and, and faith was just exuding, you know, in my life. And my husband came alongside with me and we moved to another aspect, another level of faith as we came into the charismatic churches. So high liturgical, evangelical, charismatic, we were moving up into more understanding. And then one day as I was reading the word, because I was a teacher by now, teaching the Bible, I, um, I saw this in Leviticus 23 about the feast of the Lord. So I went to my pastor's wife and of course, in normal form, she says, oh, stay away from that. That's for the Jews. That's not for us. And I said, but it's in our Bible too. And she says, well, we have our holidays. I said, tell me where they are. Tell me where Christmas is <laughs> wow. listed. Where is Easter listed? Yeah. Where does it say that we should we should honor and um, support these holidays? And, of course, she couldn't. And so that really, really got my attention. So we ended up moving and going to a, um, a church that understood Hebraic roots. And we had a... Um, a a rabbi come in and do a Passover for us. And I was so enamored by that. And I began to realize that Jesus was Jewish and all these things that he's talking about is not, you know, part of our uh, Greco Roman Christianity. It's, it goes beyond that. You know, th there's one thing that we all have in common. It doesn't matter what denomination you come from. We all have the first century in common. Yeah, we might good have point. All along, okay, we might have splintered all along. And when we, when, when somebody, when a denomination is created, when something is reformed, it leaves something behind. And the one that's behind, of course, is at odds with the one that moved on. And so there's not, there's no unity in Reformation. But whenever you go back to the beginning of the first century and understand our Messiah in his context, his Jewish context, all Christians have this in common. And we began to have this, this connection and it's, it's not, you don't look at your differences anymore. You're learning, you're learning new things and you're kind of putting away the, um, the Greco-Roman things. People are disenchanted and with, with, um, with Greco-Roman Christianity, as you find out more about what happened with Constantine the Great, who was the emperor and he, he declared that Christianity, his Christianity would be the one world religion. He added paganism to it and made it Latinized and, and Romanized and got rid of the Jewish aspects of it, the Jewishness of Jesus. Sure. We, we began, you begin to realize this whole thing is different than it was in the first century. This is not what Yeshua taught. This was not his walk, his ways, his halakha. And so we wanted, I wanted to know what was his way. How did he live? And of course, it was all about Torah. And that's what got my attention to, yep. to study more. And, um, eventually, like, like you said, I got my master's and doctorate in first century Christianity and I began to understand second temple Judaism. 
um, because that was the Judaism of Jesus at the time. Um, right. Uh, so, you know, the Judaism today is different than the Judaism of the first century. And so I, I didn't have a context of Jesus's Ju- Judaism and, um, you know, the temple has, is gone and all of that, the hub of, of what all that meant and what it pointed to, you know, was, is not even talked about anymore. Wow. So, you said that so well. Yeah. That, that's, that, that's, I, I think that there are probably people listening to this who are scratching their heads, not understanding. So, so I want to just take a moment as a resource on your site. Do you have that or where should people go when they're, and there's puzzled about the, the, the Jewish roots of Christianity and Jesus is a first century Jew. There are so many Hebraic scholars, uh, Christian Hebraic scholars that are so that, that were my teachers you know, Dr. Brad Young, if you can get his book, um, the Jesus, the Jewish theologian, or uh, Paul, the Jewish theologian, the rap, meet the rabbis. It's a fantastic book because he's able to, to show us what the rabbi said. Jesus quoted from the rabbis and the Talmud. Oh, of course. But we didn't know. We don't know that because we don't know those stories. Um, also, jo- Dr. John Gar, he is brilliant and he's written like 40 something books. It's like he is, he, he has got so much in him and he's poured it out on the pages. Um, and Dr. Richard Booker, fantastic author. He's able, I think, to reach the lay person, the person who maybe is not real, doesn't have a whole lot of understanding of just God, Christianity. Right. He's able to connect to them on a level that they get it. Got it. Teaching them deep, deep things. He just has a gift of connecting on a certain level that people understand. So uh, Marv Wilson, another one, these are our scholars that will explain the Jewish roots of our faith of Jesus. And um, you'll never be the same. I'm going to commit to putting together a list and I'm going to, at least a beginning resource list. And I'll ask your help. And then therefore anyone who's listening can be in touch and we'll give them a, a, like a, a, what's the word in college? Um, Oh, I can't think of the word. the curricula, the, the, the reading list. We'll, 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 we'll give people what to work with. And I'm, by the way, I'm real interested too. I have a book here that, that I was given to review and I'm not yet sure how to write about it, but it's called After Jesus Before Christianity. And, and I, I loved it. It was so eye opening. I just, I, I don't have enough depth in, the, the in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love the title. You yeah. Know, it, the, the, the followers of the disciples of Yeshua were all Jewish. Correct. You know, if there were any non-Jews following him in that day, they proselytized them and they were converted into Judaism. They were circumcised. They were, they, th- that was the faith. You have to remember the nations were sacrificing their children. We had, we were worshiping other gods like Tammuz and Molech. We weren't worshiping Israel's God. Yeah. And so, um, you know, whenever Jesus, Yeshua came on the scene, um, and he began to, to relate to the people. He was relating to his own brothers and sisters who were Jewish. And yep. so he was talking to them in their vernacular and by their customs, their traditions. And we have to put ourselves in that first century mode. We have to learn the ways and the traditions and the culture in order for us to really understand his teaching. Um, otherwise we Romanize it and Greco, you know, make it more Latin and Greek and, um, even pagan. There's a lot of pagan. Yeah. One one of the books that I read, I want to I want to talk about something else, but one of the books that I read that for me helped the most was actually Bill O'Reilly's book, Killing Jesus, because he captured so much of first century Israel and first century Judaism. And I thought that was really, really important sociologically. Um, If you don't get that, you're going to miss it. Correct. You have to get, you have to put yourself in that first century time period. And it's not just even about the traditions and the culture. You have to understand somewhat the language and the idiom. That's what I wanted to speak about. Yeah. That's what I want. The language. And by by the way, slang, which if someone wants to get to know you or I, it's the societies in which you are. That's exactly where I wanted to go now because it struck me. We, we had only met once, so I didn't know you well, although now I have the advantage of knowing you a lot better because I read your book. Right. But it struck me that throughout the book, the significance of the use of Hebrew, your studying of Hebrew, Hebrew lessons that are being offered. Um, and, and, and I honestly, I think, though, you can correct me if you think I'm off base. Most Jews 
or Christians don't understand why. I mean, you just spelled it out, but but don't understand why Hebrew is so significant. And 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 it uh, each chapter, I, I love how you did this, Victoria. Each chapter begins with a Hebrew word that's teaching, but it's referencing what's coming up in that chapter. And I remember it, it reminded me of a, a a guy named Tim. I went to Emory. Um, there was a guy named Tim in my in my Hebrew language class. He was the only non-Jew. I knew he was the father. Of, uh, his father was a pastor, but that's all I knew about him. And I asked, you know, why why on earth are you studying Hebrew? I, it didn't make sense to me at all being a young man in my late teens or or early twenties with a non-Jew, much less a Christian, studying Hebrew. I think that I don't know what happened to him. I'd love to figure out where Tim, what what became of Tim 30 some years later. Um, I suspect that you and he would have a lot in common, sure. but can you, you, maybe you just did, but maybe go a little bit deeper. Why is Hebrew so important well, for you and okay. Christians in general? Well, you have to realize that this is the mother tongue of the Torah. The, all, all of the, the, the Torah, the, the prophets were written in um, Hebrew. And um, there may be some things written in Aramaic, but still, it's foreign to us. Um, and in order for us to really understand the nuances of a word, we've got to know the nuances of the Hebrew word. Whenever, now, and I know you know this, but others may not know, that uh, there's something called pardes in, in Hebrew. And it's the, it's the four different levels or meanings of a Hebrew word. And the Peshat level, which is that very first level, is very concrete, literal. It doesn't have a whole lot of depth in it. And that is the level that all of the translations uh. using in, in every language. And so we're getting this watered down Peshat level, this this very basic concrete. At best, level. at best, because you can have editorializing in there. Exactly. We don't realize as Christians that in Hebrew, you have these deeper levels of the meaning of the word. There's inferences yes. uh, in, in the, um, in the, the remiss. There's, there's this prophetic meaning to the words. There's this, um, the drosh is a connecting, um, meaning where it's leading you, maybe a word like, for instance, waiting. If you go to, all the different places in the scripture where you find the word waiting, it's going to to really give you a meaning of this word that is not uh, just on the surface. It's going to go deeper because you're doing like a madrash or you're connecting all these different aspects of the word together. And you're realizing what are you waiting for? What you're waiting for is for God to perform. He says it in Jeremiah. He says, what do you see, Jeremiah? He says, I see an almond tree. He says, you've seen well. He says, for I will be like that almond tree. I will perform. I will do what I say. And whenever you, you connect with these, this performance of God, you know it's a prophetic meaning, waiting on him to perform. Uh, even in the New Testament, we have so many diff- different references. Even Yeshua talks about in, in the garden, he goes, couldn't you wait just for one hour? What wow. was he saying? Couldn't you just wait to see me, God, see God perform? He's about to perform. He's about to do something very, very major. And you're sleeping. So, you know, that, that is to understand these deeper levels. And of course, you got the so level, which is the deep mystical spiritual level of the word. And, and, um, of course we have, um, Paul, the apostle Paul, who talks about so many different mysteries of the word of Torah. And apparently he had a lot of understanding of these mysteries and he talks about them in his epistles. And I think a lot of that goes over our head because we aren't uh, focusing on the soul level, these mystical levels of, of God. God is mystical. Okay. A lot of people are afraid of that word. They're, they're, you know, they think I'm talking about some type of black magic. No, not at all. He is higher than our little, you know, bird pecking, you know, world. He is greater. You know, he's, he is, he had, he, all the mysteries of the universe is contained in him. Yeah. Yeah. All right? And so he doesn't, he conceals it, but there are times that he reveals it to us. And so he reveals us these mysteries. And so just reading the Bible on this concrete level, whether it's in Russian or English, you're not going to get the deeper meanings. One example is the word Sela. God took the Sela from Adam. And, you know, we have to kind of 
yeah, we, 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 we kind of jump over that a little bit. Okay. He took a rib. God can do anything. He can fashion and form a woman out of a bone, you know, God, cause God is God, but we don't yes. understand the, 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 the inferences, the deeper meanings of this word cella, that when a person has a cella removed, they're crooked, that they're walking with a limp, that they're not balanced. But whenever God brings the cell of the woman back to the man, he stands upright and he's counterbalanced. That, that is, that is a, um, a mysterious understanding of this word. And if we don't get that, then we just walk around thinking God just took a rib and, you took know, took a rib and, and yeah. I, I was a surgeon too. Cool. Right. But it's more than that. It's deeper than that. And it's beautiful. Yeah. And it, and it's endless. I, I, it's one of the things that's fascinating for me as an Orthodox Jew is, is being able, because we, we interact with this through all scripture, the, the rabbinic commentary, the Talmud and, 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 and right. you've got centuries, millennia right. of, of, in most cases, I suppose rabbis, but, but learned people who have drawn these connections. And as you're speaking about the different meanings, we even ascribe, I don't think you've written about it, but we even ascribe numerical values to words Absolutely. and therefore associations between certain words because each Hebrew letter has a certain numerical value and therefore this word relates to that word that you would never even think to put together in the same, in the and same vision. Those are the very deep things of the word of God. And we, I think as Christians, we're kind of like, um, primary level, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, it's not that we can't achieve more understanding. I believe but through the Ruach HaKodesh, we, he leads us into truth. He leads us into revelation. He absolutely led me before I understood it. He set me up. I, I was primed. I was, you know, I had that, um, I literally was set up to receive everything that he gave me. And I had, unbeknownst to me. Now, one thing about the New Testament, even though it was written in Greek, you, we have to understand that Greek was the lingua franca of the first century, but all the Jews at that time knew Hebrew. They, they heard the scripture, the, the Torah in the synagogues and in the temple. Um, but their, you know, mostly their language was, was Aramaic, but, but they, as far as what they spoke, you know, in the contemporary way, it was Greek, but they knew Hebrew. And, um, yeah. It, it was it, Greek was an, an interesting because it was a lingua franca of, of the of the empire of the world. Um, then the word, especially through the the Septuagint, was able to get into every you know every aspect of the empire because Good point. great Greek. point, right? Wow. So it really opened up the 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 opportunity for people to understand uh, the scripture. If they didn't understand Hebrew, they understood Greek. And so it, it was a, it was a good thing in that, in that way, in that fashion, in that time. Excellent. Thank you. I want to take another quick break. And then uh, for me, what's a progression? I want to move from the language to the, to, to some of the, the festivals specifically that, that I'm glad you related that story, but I'm going to come back to that. Let's just okay. take a quick break. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill. They are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter, and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. Okay, so Victoria, in addition to Hebrew, I, I love how you described it. I, I could not have done what you just did, and I think you help both a lot of Christians and Jews understand just from that, that, that little bit of our conversation why it's so significant and why 
Jews shouldn't be so bothered, not, not bothered, but in fact, embrace it because that's the original language as my classmate Tim it taught me 30 some years ago. Um, so in addition to that, there's a trend of Christians connecting with the Jewish roots of Christianity, including biblical customs and uh, that, that are, as the pastor's wife in your Baptist church said, I think it was right, the Baptist church said, no, those are the Jews holidays, right? And, yeah. and you write about it, um, but Jesus was a first century Jew. He observed all the festivals. They are God's appointed festival and they're significant in the whole calendar. I don't want to get into that. That's a much bigger conversation for right now. Shortly after you and I met, I met a young woman um, who I was in a, at a Christian conference. I get spotted in those pretty easily walking around as an Orthodox Jew. And she wanted to speak to me uh, because she had just a few months earlier had her first Passover celebration and she wanted my guidance now, you mentioned Passover also, as I think the first of those festivals that you celebrated. I, I don't know how deep, but let's just see how, how, how we go. Share what, what's significant about the understanding of the festivals. And, and I'm curious in terms of how you are also, how you've incorporated them into your life. Well, Passover is really, really important for Christians. If they really understood the timing aspects of Yeshua. That it, he, first of all, he couldn't wait to celebrate Passover. Those were his words. I desire with great desire to celebrate the Passover with you. And he had his disciples, uh, have everything. He had a, a person get everything ready for that, that Passover meal. And, um, he, it was a, a very important, um, uh, time for him because he was revealing what he was about to do. And, um, we don't, I don't think we think about the timing that it was on Passover that Yeshua was crucified and and that Christians believe that he is that Passover lamb. He is our Messiah, okay? He is the Messiah ben Joseph for us. Um, if we hadn't had Yeshua, we would still be sacrificing our children. He is the one that broke through. He was that Poets. He was Bel Peor. He was the one that broke through and told his disciples to go into the nations and tell the nations about who he is and that they too, who those who are far off can come near. And so we, um, we are connecting to, to Yeshua on this level of Passover, understanding what he did, what he performed on that day. Uh, we also understand that on, um, uh, on the feast of Bechorim, um, he, uh, of course, we understand that's the first day of the week, and we know that there are many people that saw him um, uh, uh, rise from the dead, and they spoke to him, and so we call him the firstborn of the dead, the first fruit of, from the dead. And so we are able to connect to Yeshua on a Jewish level, connecting to that Jewish um, holiday, and seeing it from a totally, because, you know, a lot of times when I was a kid, when somebody told me, Jesus died for you, I would think, why did he do that? You know what? He didn't <laughs> do that. And, you know, I just didn't understand it. I didn't understand anything about you know blood atonement or anything like that. I didn't understand prophecies and even the, the what the Torah says about you know sacrifices. I didn't understand all that. And so you know, then I began to realize that you know that Yeshua was saying that He is the Passover Lamb of God, and and when we receive Him, then we are receiving that blood on the doorpost of our heart and. He circumcised okay. our hearts. And so we get, we have this understanding from a Jewish perspective now about what he did, not some frivolous words that Jesus died for you and you don't know why. Um, so we're able to put it on top. Of, it, it gives us a foundation to put it on top of and say, this is why. And then he tells his disciples he, he, after he has risen from the dead, and he's walking with him for 40 days. He says, go into Jerusalem and wait for 10 days. This is after the, the resurrection. So you know what happens 50 days after uh, Bukharim. And Correct. that is uh, Shavuot. And so he tells his disciples to go. Shavuot, into- for those not with the, without the breath of Hebrew that you have, is Pentecost. Right. And so he told, tells them to go to Jerusalem and to wait. And, of course, it was it is very much similar to the the experience on Mount Sinai with with rumbling and thunder and lights and fire and, and earthquakes. And so it was, you know, this was Mount Sinai and this was Mount Zion. 
And we see a, um, on the day that was commemorating the Torah, we see that the Torah was writ- written on the tablets of the heart of the people. And, um, you know, now we understand Pentecost in a whole different light whenever we look at it from the, from the, uh, perspective of the, uh, of the feast. Um, even Yeshua during Sukkot talks about the fire, uh, in, in, in the, in the temple. He talks about the libation of water. He talks about how he's, how he's the water of life. Um, he also was in the temple during um, Hanukkah in Solomon's porch, which was really all right. it was at that time. And so he was he was celebrating. He was commemorating um, Hanukkah even. And so when we begin to realize that the one that we call upon that has connected us to God, you know, we we were far off, and it was it was Yeshua that has connected us to God. We did not know Israel's God, but through Yeshua we do. So um, he taught us how to walk. He taught us his halakha. And that saved us. That saved us. It brought us to a revelation knowledge of the of Israel's God, the Jewish um, Messiah. And um, it's, it's made a total difference in our lives today. We are not, we're not the same people that we were whenever, you know, we were in the nations, you know, following after false gods and, and um, appeasing them. You know, we, we follow a God that loves us. We follow a God that, that cares for us and that has brought us near. And so, you know, there, I know there's a lot of uh, disagreements maybe, or maybe we don't agree on everything as Christians and Jews. But I tell you one thing, we are learning so much about the Jewish people and we're finding that we have tons of commonalities now right. that didn't think we ever could see eye to eye on things. And these things are pu- pulling us together. And we're able to see, and you're, and you're seeing our perspective, you know. Well, so- I, I am, and for me, it's a blessing, and I think it's real important. But you know this, Victoria, that it makes a lot of Jews uncomfortable. Uh, I, we won't have time to do it now, I, but you had shared something when we, when we met about, uh, about a Holocaust memorial program that you're involved with. Uh, may, I, I think that there's a lot more that I love to have a, a conversation, certainly one-on-one, but, 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 but like this as well. Um, but it makes a lot of Jews uncomfortable. Some will say it's religious appropriation. And you, you're right. I understand. And you know, a lot of other Orthodox Jews who like me and, and, and non-Orthodox Jews who are beginning to understand, but most don't. So what, what's your word? What's your, your thought as a Christian to say, you know what? You guys need to help us by showing light. Um, because there's so much paganism in the church. Um, in, in Catholicism, what Constantine the Great did, because he was a polytheist, he believed in many gods, he ascribed um, his gods to the Father, the Virgin Mary, the the, the saints, uh, the God of nature would become, you know, Saint, I don't know, Andrew or whatever, um, you know, the, the, the God that is uh, the God of the land, you know, Saint Nicholas or whatever they are, I don't even know them because I'm not Catholic, but they, all these saints were, took the place of his many gods. And, um, and of course there, what nobody was worshiping Mary in the first few hundred years of the faith. The disciples knew she was blessed, but nobody worshiped her as a God. But Constantine created, um, a connection to the queen of heaven, which of course is, uh, Ishtara and the word Easter comes from Ishtar. Ah, yeah. So, so we have this, these pagan, um, you know, is the, they're undercurrents all through Christianity. Why do we have eggs at Easter? Why do we have these little icons of bunnies? It has to do with the fertility goddess Ishtar. And if you really knew what, what actually happened in, in those days, it would just, it would hurt your heart to hear that, um, they would actually sacrifice babies and put their blood in a big vat and then put the eggs in that vat and dye them red and put them on a altar. And then the priest of Ishtar would impregnate. It was a, it was a, it was a fetish, um, fertility fetish. And they would impregnate women on this day, the day of Ishtar. Oh yeah. It was the, it was on the Sunday after the, the, the full moon, after the, the, um, the spring equinox, I think it is. And so, um, and to, to this day, that's how they determine, how the church determines Easter, Easter. They, they determine it by the same way. This is how the pagans determined the day of Easter. 
And so, but Christians don't know that. And then what they would do is they, they would uh, keep these babies until December 25th, where they would actually sacrifice them and they would put their blood in a vat and they, they would start all over again. Well, actually when the, they wouldn't sacrifice them on the 25th, I take it back. They sacrificed them. They were born on the 25th. If they were um, so conceived during the day of Ishtar, right, right. they were born around the 25th. And then when they were three months old, they would sacrifice them. And of course, blood goes back in the vat. The eggs go back in the in the blood. Oh, that's horrific! I never heard that. But we don't we don't realize it. You know, we're 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 blind to those things. And and, and there's yeah. a great irony, of course, is that the blood libels are, are are about the Jews. Absolutely, and it's so it's so backwards. Wow, you know. Um, wow, Victoria. Wow, this has been a, a delight and so enlightening for me. And there's so many things. I had made a list of things because your book is really that, that, that deep. And, and I'm privileged that we've met. I'm, I'm so grateful that you gave me a copy because it's really not just get, help me get to know you. And I encourage other people to do that as well, but also just expand my knowledge. And, and, and um, I'm grateful for that. I want to encourage it. I'm, uh, I want to wrap up, but thank you for, for taking the time today. Thank you for, Wow, sharing as openly as you do because it really is important. Yeah, I'm glad to. Anytime, just give me a you know a heads up, and I'll be glad to come on your show again. Great, we will do that. So let me just wrap up by as I always do, reminding people sort of in a, as a tongue in cheek way, uh, way. If you've stayed with us this long, you deserve a reward. Um, it's not <laughs> a reward. This 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 is a, a reward in itself. But every every month this year. The Genesis 123 Foundation has been offering a special gift each month um, called From Jonathan's Bookshelf. And every month I'm finding a different volume or different gift to, to, to give away. All we ask is that you uh, go to the inspiration from Zion social media and like and follow us. And when you comment and share the link, we select one person at random to receive a book. And, and um, I'm looking forward to, to people continue sharing this program because it really is so important. I want to thank um, our, our sponsors, the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. Always say if you're in the area, stop in and thank them for helping make programs and deep conversations like this possible. And also thanks to the Coin family as well for their friendship and meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges. And this episode, I have the privilege of, uh, of, of announcing that it's sponsored in memory of Earlene Barnes by our friend Caprice Williams, who's a regular listener. And we thank her for that and giving us the, the privilege of, of dedicating this episode in, in memory of her friend. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch with us at Inspiration from Zion at gmail.com. We'd always love to hear your comments as part of a dialogue and ask you to send any questions as well, especially questions you have about traditional Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this with others who you know will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversation about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the in the Judean mountains. Thank you and God bless you. God bless you. Hallelujah.